is your host, Mary Swander, welcoming you to Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land. Today, we have a show all about water, the Mississippi River and its tributary, the Amish River. So stay tuned and get in your raft and float with us. Right now, you don't even want to mention the name hunker down. Two words, the bridge, stops all conversation. People sigh, roll their eyes, and look the other way. But it wasn't always this way. A hundred years ago, the hunker down bridge connected our two adjacent towns. Farmers loaded up their wagons and brought their grain to the mill on the water and it was the best place to throw a line over the side of the railing and fish in the Amish River, a tributary of the Mississippi. In 1896, some prominent Free Martin Town citizens got together and fixed up a nice park just above the mill. Their vision was a summer resort with a lemonade stand, a merry-go-round, a boat dock, and camping and picnic grounds. They envisioned people coming from miles around to relax at hunker down, throwing down a glass of river water lemonade. The park was never really discovered by the masses, but the locals seemed to like it just that way. Farmers, both English and Amish, sat for a spell at the mill, trading stories and exchanging the news of the day. And on Sundays after church, families gathered in the park for picnics and games of horseshoes. On Friday and Saturday nights, the place became a lover's lane, where boys from Bulltown might even meet up with one of those forbidden free Martintown girls. The first of the two towns to get their charter was Bulltown, a place filled with pedigreed cattle and purebred Amish. The town had 18 churches, ranging from Methodist to conservative Mennonite. Not one store that sold liquor and no bars. Then some Bohemian immigrants hit the area shortly after the Amish settled here. The Bohemians wanted a drink, so they crossed the river a couple of miles south and settled their own town, naming it Free Martin Town, a village with one Catholic church and 18 bars. So Bulltown and Free Martintown coexisted for well over a century with the Hunker Down Bridge, a beautiful old metal structure with a deck of wooden planks built in 1880, serving as a conduit from sin to sanity. I used to love to say a prayer to St. Christopher for safety, then drive over that old rattling bridge, watching the great blue herons swoop the water below. The bridge was full of myth and mystery. Once, we even had a made-for-TV movie filmed on that bridge, starring Haley Mills. One of them movie actors was walking over the bridge, my Amish neighbor told me. She was all dressed up like us in a black bonnet and shawl, but she was smoking a cigarette. Soon after the cigarette was extinguished, the county condemned the bridge and all traffic stopped. Then someone sparked a fire in the middle of the night and half of Hunker Down burned. We had to drive a good seven miles out of our way on the highway to get from one town to another. So trade and mixed marriages between the two towns began to dwindle. 
a movement arose to rehab the bridge. Both towns went together to collect money and T-shirts and seed caps appeared with Save Our Bridge printed on those from Bulltown and Don't Let Hunkertown Go to Hell on the Free Mountain Town shirts. The local Free Mountain Town foundry fortified the metal structure of the bridge and the Bulltown Amish went to work replacing the planks, reorienting them horizontally so that their buggy wheels no longer fell down between the cracks. But more money had to be raised to replace the burned segment of the bridge. As it stood, from Bulltown, you could walk three quarters of the way across the river. But there the bridge stopped before reaching Free Martin Town. The metal structure was still there, but the deck had gone up in the fire. So the townspeople got together and decided they would have musical entertainment fundraisers on the bridge. They booked the best blues, jazz, and old-time musicians around. And this time, scores of people from miles around flocked to the river with lawn chairs, coolers, kids, and dogs. Lights were strung across the railings, and torches were lit to drive away bugs. Meat sizzled on grills. The Town folks sat quietly on the north bank, eating hot dogs and drinking lemonade. The Free Martintown folks lined the south bank, eating hamburgers and drinking schlitz. The musicians played. Catfish Keith on his national guitar, bowing first to the northern crowd, his voice echoing over the water, Hello, Bulltown! Then spinning around to the southern fans, Hello, Free Martintown! Tapping his foot for rhythm, his old fedora hat pushed back on his head, his guitar plugged into an amp that carried his song down the river all the way to New Orleans. Catfish sang the Mississippi River blues. All gathered, relaxed, in their chairs, spotting some of the first migrating flamingos on their way south for the winter, the pink birds circling the crowd, then diving down into the water for food. At the end of the concert, Amos, the owner of the Quick and Easy, the local convenience store, passed around a coffee can, and all the Bulltown folks made donations. Then hanging from the cables, Amos inched his way across the bridge from north to south, one hand overlapping the other, and he collected from the Free Martintown folks. Everyone gave generously, and in the end, that may have been part of the problem. Finally, no one could figure out where the money had gone, and the dream of two small towns ended in disappointment. The Amish made rugs of the t-shirts and sold the seed caps in their resale shop to support their well-drilling mission in Haiti. The whole story became so long, convoluted, and painful, nobody wants to retell it. If asked, we just shake our heads. The rehab of the bridge to nowhere stopped, but happily the concerts on the bridge have continued for years. During the summers, we still gather in our lawn chairs and listen to great music. Then last summer, even the music on the bridge was stopped by the virus. Instead, we sat at home, socially distanced, and sang the blues in our own rhythms. We stationed ourselves separately, each on our own porch, listening to the howling of the coyotes at night, watching the shooting stars falling down. 
This year, we join together again, connected. Lemonade in one hand, can of Schlitz in the other. My thoughts of you keep rising Just like an evening tide I'm just like a seagull That's left the sea Since we're on the Mississippi River this week, or tributaries thereof, I thought I would read some sections from my book, The Girls on the Roof, a Mississippi narrative. And this book has a plot. First book of poetry I've ever written that actually has a plot, or probably that anybody's written like this. And the plot is, there are two women, a mother and daughter, Maggie and Pearl, and they're stuck on top of the roof of a catfish dive on the banks of the Mississippi River for three days. And while they're up there, they discover that they have both had an affair with the same man. So the book starts 10 years out from the flood and everyone's come back to Crazy Eddie's Cafe to try to retell the story of the girls on the roof. And uh, Pearl's there. She's the waitress, and she's taken down the story on her order pad. And here we go. This is from the first chapter, which is called Fireworks. The day the levee broke, the day the mighty Mississippi washed Maggie and Pearl, mother and daughter, up on top of their catfish dive. The river rushed through our tiny town of Pompey. With a whoosh, crack, bam, boom, a power so Herculean that with one swift slap of its hand, the water knocked out all the windows and tore the door right off its hinges at Crazy Eddie's Cafe. The very gates of hell opened and the great flood of the 20th century came crashing, dashing through. Maggie and Pearl had been warned. Sure, the whole town knew. Any fool could have seen it coming. Yep, and now, 10 years out, we're all back here at the great flood reunion. We sit in the cafe, landlubbers and river rollers, shaking our heads and clucking our tongues about those bad waters the flow that carries us back to a different time when the very ground under our feet gave way and every twig we clung to floated off beyond our reach. And now, 10 years out, we struggle to remember that summer, think about where we were and where we went when the big wall hit. We gather here together once again, the living and the dead, the seen and the unseen, the genuine and the ghosts, all who've come and gone, each taking a place at a table, in a booth, or on a stool, duct tape stuck to vinyl. We gather once again to piece together a tall tale, a story too long and wide for a single person to spin. We tilt back our chairs, watch tricky gizzards swimming in the mason jar on the counter, hear the waves lap at the banks outside the door, and realize just how lucky we are to be here on dry land 
with a beer in hand. Now, if any of you were around in 1993 for that flood, you'll remember that the crest came on the 4th of July weekend here. And that was kind of unusual because we're used to floods on the Mississippi River and the crests usually come in the spring, but we had a summer flood, so we kind of knew something was up, but we just weren't used to it, so we kind of just went on with our lives. So here everybody was sitting in Crazy Eddie's Cafe when the levee broke. Yep. That fourth, we drank and smoked cigarettes down to the nubs and drank and doused French fries and ketchup and weren't even aware that in just an hour's time, the water had risen to our knees. Then moments before the levee broke, everyone caught the glances that ricocheted back and forth like pinballs between Maggie and her husband, Bigfoot. Between Maggie and her lover, Fink. Between Pearl and her husband, Kerr. Between Pearl and her lover, Fink. Bells dinged inside our heads, scores going up on a board. Too slosh to say much, we all sat still and stared into the night where the fireworks were beginning to soar above the ball field. A streamer of pink light from a comet shot up into the air and cascaded down over the water, rising even higher, the current swifter. A carp circled Maggie's waist. Then the levee let loose, the torrent crashing through crazy eddies, churning and roaring, splintering glass, carrying everyone up into the night, into the wild and turbulent river that cut its way down through the very heart of the country all the way to New Orleans. up in the river and uh, he has his own little monologue here and this is chapter three and it's called Dead Man's Float. In, out, in. When the levee breaks, me and Bigfoot manage to jump into the flatboat tied up at the cafe, me at the bow, him at the stern with his bowie knife on his hip. We ride the waves up, down, and around and through the glue factory glue. To the right, I shout, we got to clear this hog house. To the left, we've got to miss the top of this oak tree. We're soaked, the rain still falling, the river rising and rising to such a pitch. I know the dam has popped. Then we hit the top of a chicken coop and Bigfoot tells me to stay put. The hill hop out and push. 
the boat tilting this way and that, nearly dumping me into the mess. Then I feel the sharp stab in my back, the pain searing down between my ribs into my lungs. In, out, in, Bigfoot dumps me into the water, the knife still in my back and takes off downriver. I gasp, I shake, air seeping out of my punctured lung like an old tire. Carried by the turrets, the fierce charging currents, I clutch at anything that floats. And Maggie, my Maggie, my Mag, I need to get back into the boat and save the one woman who matters most. But the river pushes me down, sweeps me along. The river, the crazy, mad Mississippi, that mighty, muddy marauder. My blood mingles with manure, motor oil, heating oil, kerosene, gasoline, all borne along by the river. I think the whole thing will just blow up, go up in flames. One blazing cesspool of an ending, going off like a rocket to the moon. One small step for man, one giant leap for womanizing men. And looking down, see nothing but that tiny little ball called Earth, drowning in flames. Some say the world will end in fire, others ice. But what do I know of desire? So, Fink is floating around in the water, and Maggie thinks she's going to get the heck out of there. She's really been wanting to leave Pompey for a long time. Pompey is spelled like Pompeii, but since we're in the Midwest, it's pronounced Pompey. And wouldn't you know it, but she gets, like, washed up into a tree and above the cafe, and there's nothing she can do but drop down on the roof. There she is, back where she started. And then she hears Pearl gurgling along by the gutter, and she pulls her up on the roof, and there they are, sitting there together. They've figured out their mutual secret, and they're pissed. They're totally pissed. And... Then they are there for a while, and oh, what the heck, up comes Fink. So what can they do but pull him up on the roof, too? So there they are, the menage a trois, up on the roof. This is from Chapter 6, When the Sky Opened. Maggie and Pearl sat in silence on top of Crazy Eddie's cafe. The stench of Fink's body bloated like a dead boar, waiting for the render, filling their nostrils. Mother and daughter could not speak. They were stuck there, with the river rising higher, depositing a couple of coffin lids, an old mop, a red wagon, and a piece of chicken wire near the chimney. They sat still for an hour, wanting to cry, wanting to spit, wanting to claw out each other's eyes. A great blue heron circled above them, its wings bent, neck pulled in. The bird perched in the cottonwood, 
the hue of its feathers blending in with the darkening sky. The sun, a fuzzy yellow ball, disappeared behind a cloud bank, whose color was shifting quickly from gray to black. Then the sky opened, the water pelting down with hard driving drops that plastered the women's hair to their faces, their clothes to their skin. They didn't grimace, they didn't frown. They sat on either side of an imaginary line that divided them, mother from daughter. The rain came harder, the river rising higher. Then with their clothes weighing them down, their bodies so heavy, they could hardly hold themselves up. With the weariness of prize fighters who hug in the ring, they edged toward each other, collapsing into each other's laps. They huddled together in the middle of the roof, shivering and shaking. With a chill that even Maggie's menopausal hot flashes couldn't warm, they buried their heads in their arms and waited for the deluge to let up. On and on throughout the morning, the rain found its rhythms, pounding the women, stirring up a wind that forced Maggie and Pearl to hang on to the TV antenna, the gusts so strong the cottonwood creaked and moaned, showering dead twigs on the roof. The rain stilled to a steady pour, but the lightning cracked and flashed above them. The women waited until the storm tapered off, calm to a drizzle, water dripping from their noses. This is a bad flood, real bad. So Crazy Eddie was the owner of the cafe and he was a little person and he he was buried in the cemetery, but the force of the water was so strong that it pushed the coffins right up, popped them right up out of the ground and sent them on down the Mississippi River. And Crazy Eddie went down. He was almost to New Orleans, and he hit a sandbar, and he kind of woke up out of his coffin and... He could, he could not figure out what was going on, except he decided this had to be the apocalypse. So this is Crazy Eddie on the Judgment Day, Chapter 7. Great goblins, this ain't the promised land. I don't see no bright lights, don't hear no trumpets sounding, don't feel no angels hovering round. What we got ourselves stuck into here, folks, is muck. Yes, sir, a muddy, messy, snake-infested swamp. Well, I'll be teetotitiously exflunctified. This ain't the way they said it's going to be. But how about that? The Lord played tricks on us before. You bet. Ain't we used to this sort of thing? The river rising and falling, us never knowing what was where or when was what. So here we is, sure as you're alive. All of us, Pompey, dead, gathered together in the by you. Believe me, what else could this be but the judgment day? Look at it this way. Ain't we been floating downstream all of our lives? Here at the end, that old devil river, he just gave us the extra push. Old boy, he snuck into our boneyard and pried us loose, popped us up and out and pitched us into the black night. Coffins carried along by the current. Yes, sir. It all comes back to us, don't it? 
Can't you hear your mama and papa and every old school marm you ever had say it? Life ain't no free lunch. Little did they know that death ain't no peanut butter sandwich neither. But death could be free public transportation. Woo! We just sailed along. The old devil rushing us, riding fast and free. Us heading south, trying to navigate around boulders and dams and the wrecks we'd made of our lives. Now I've been a low-livered moonshine shimmy and hellraiser all my life but never too drunk to steer. So those girls were up there on top of the roof, Maggie and Pearl, for three days, which was two days longer than they needed to be up there. Uh, but they had become entertainment. And the only thing that was open, the only thing that was on higher ground was the quick and easy, the convenience store. So everybody in Pompeii who was left and still alive moved to the quick and easy and they set up their lawn chairs and they still had a little bit of electricity going there on a generator at the quick and easy and they, they had a hot dog rotisserie and everybody ate their hot dogs and popped their Schlitz cans and sat in their lawn chairs. And, well, the, there was no TV or anything going on in Pompeii under all that flood water, so they watched the girls duke it out on the roof with old dead Fink sitting in the middle of it. And, I mean, they were placing bets on those girls and everything else, so they weren't going to bring them down. But uh, they finally did bring them down, and if you want to know how they got them down, you got to buy the book. It's called The Girls on the Roof by Mary Swander. And even better, if you tune into my premiums and buy a yearly membership, you'll get a free book of The Girls on the Roof. Stay tuned for news about that. So Jake the Snake, who's kind of the town crier, hey, talking about getting the girls off the roof, and what happened when they got him down. There on the fourth day of the levee break, with the girls already down, I found Fink, his body encased in mud. I fished him out of the muck and squeezed him into the cooler of the quick and easy with the bologna and Velveeta cheese. The next morning, we lay him out on the counter his fishing cap pulled down over his face, a couple of lures dangling toward his nose. Yep, the whole town pressed in together to pay their last respects. We dragged our lawn chairs from outside, plunking them down near the soft-serve machine. We stood in the aisle next to the pork and beans, Pearl taking in her lover one last time mumbling some kind of prayer of contrition, how she was never, ever going to get herself in such a fix again. And I'll be a son of a dwarf if at just that moment, Pearl didn't push a pencil behind her ear and wink at the priest walking through the door. Now the girls on the roof 
has had a very long, interesting life, and it has been adapted to an R-rated puppet show with the Oil and Spiegel Puppet Theater. So you can also check that out on my website, maryswander.com. And I will end this reading with a little snippet from Maggie's final monologue. She has left the cafe, told her story, and she is on her way to where she thinks it'll be much more sophisticated place, and that's New Orleans, Pompey in the rear view mirror on her raft. Every triumph arises from the muck, the deep, dark, muddy river bottom. Every victory starts in a tree on a chilly, wet night. Lord, have mercy. Let us shift our eyes from the bark and know how much more there is to love. Christ, have mercy. Let us drop down on the roof with a different step, not with the weight of the waterlogged shoe, not with the thud of the worn and weary, but with the wings of the heron and crow, with the beak of the pelican, with the wisdom of the owl. After three long days without shelter, there will be a new song, a new call. The waters will be stilled. There will be a new wall of light surrounding us all. I'm an old steamboat. Down the Mississippi River. Again, I'm going to flow. I'm going to pack my grip and head that way. And that's our episode of Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land for today. We want to thank our producer, Rick Brewer, for Brouhaha Audio Productions. And thank our sponsors who have helped us keep ourselves on the air. We had support from the Ellathorpe Warner Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation and from the Calio Levine Fund, who helped us with these podcasts and our Ag Arts residencies. We'd welcome support from you. All you have to do is get on our website, agarts.org, and hit that red donate button. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. I'm just like a seagull That's left the sea Oh, these muddy waters Keep on calling me I'm gonna pack my grip and head that way the only way to live the Mississippi River 
Radio Deluxe. 